Well, I'm excited tonight because I believe God's got something special for you, and uh, I'm honored that you're here, and I, I really believe that tonight could be a catalyst and a turning point in many of your uh, spiritual journeys. In fact, I'm feeling that in my spirit. We've been praying a lot uh, over this series and over this particular service, and uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak some things to you, and I'm going to ask you for the same thing that I have throughout the whole series. Let's try and set aside all of our preconceived ideas, all of our beliefs about the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the things that we've seen on television, the stuff that maybe has freaked us out in the past or uh, different experiences we've had or conversations we've had or beliefs our parents or friends have held. And let's just go to Scripture and see what the Bible has to say about it because the reality is in the day and age that we live, we need the power that the Holy Spirit brings. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we've been reading this. In our weekend services, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word dunamis. We need power to live a righteous life, power to perform miracles. We need power to be a bold witness. And that's the purpose of it, that we would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we have always had a priority and an emphasis on the person of the Holy Spirit, and, and specifically the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because uh, we believe that it's essential, that it's absolutely foundational for our faith and for the strength that we need. And some of you were possibly raised, we, we have, as, as a church, always been kind of a melting pot from people from a lot of different backgrounds and denominations. And one of those reasons is because we preach the cross. We talk about Jesus. We focus on salvation. And that's what Paul talked about. And yet at the same time, I want you to know the secret sauce of I-Town, the reason why you like it here, the reason why you continue to come back, no matter what your theology is about the Holy Spirit, is because we pray in the Spirit over every chair. We pray in the Spirit over your life. We pray in the Spirit over this church. We pray in the Spirit against the devil. We pray in the Spirit and ask God to empower us and equip us, and His presence and His power is here in a supernatural way. And if you ever attend a service that feels a little flat, at iTown, I've had a few of those throughout the life of the church. The first thing I do is come off the platform and say, who's in the prayer room? Because I want you to know right now there are people in the prayer room praying in the spirit over your life, asking God to move in your family and in your heart, and it happens every service, every weekend. So what you might find is that you would be surprised at some of the things that maybe you've been intimidated by or scared of or have pushed away are the very things that are actually drawing you and becoming a magnet for you at iTown. And so uh, clearly we, we went through the study on Sunday about the three different baptisms. And first, John, I wanna visit that one more time. Only the 430 got this verse and I had to cut it out. So if you're at the 430, you got it, but all the other services missed it. In first John chapter five, it says, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Of course, John tells us the Word was Jesus, and so we have the Trinity here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. The three are one, three separate expressions. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but check this out. It says on earth there are three that bear witness, and in the earth it's the three baptisms. It's the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. And so we kind of dove for several minutes in this weekend, this last weekend, into the concept of the fact that we need a doctrine of baptisms. It's supposed to be foundational for our faith, but as we dive into scripture, you'll find that there are 
clearly three separate baptisms. The first one, of course, is salvation, where Jesus has paid the price for our sins. That's the whole idea of the blood and how the Holy Spirit draws us and convicts us and baptizes us not only into the body of Christ, but into Christ himself. We become a new creation and our life changes. And then we go through the step of the water, that's water baptism, publicly signifying the inward work that Christ has done, where we're fully submerged underwater, being raised to new life in Christ. That was John's uh, baptism, the baptism of repentance. But then we talked about how many believers often leave it there and don't take that third step that we call the baptism or the immersion or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And clearly, it is a separate experience in Scripture where Jesus then reverses the process of salvation. And now Jesus returns the favor and baptizes you or clothes you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to take just a moment to show you how this was normal in the New Testament church. In fact, in the book of Acts, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Tongues of fire come down, and the power of God hits that place. And the Bible says that they begin to speak in other languages. And everybody outside kind of freaks out. And Peter goes out, and he gives his message. He talks about how Jesus has been crucified. And this guy that was just a few days ago scared of a little girl and intimidated about his faith is now boldly preaching to people of basically, hey, y'all killed Jesus and now it's time to say you're sorry. You need to repent and you need to know that this is real and that God is alive and he wants to fill your life. And they're convicted because of his spirit-filled preaching. And they said, what do we do? And he says in Acts chapter two, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's salvation and water baptism. And then he says, you'll receive the third baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And check out what he says. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called uh, by the name of our God. So a couple of things I want you to notice here. First one is that it's a gift. The Holy Spirit, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that God wants to give you. So there's no measure of holiness that you have to attain. There's nothing that you have to do travailing in prayer. There's not a thing that you can earn. The Holy Spirit is not a badge of honor for the spiritually elite. The Holy Spirit is available to every knucklehead this side of the cross, all of us included. Thank God for that, somebody. Come on. Because I don't deserve him. There's nothing that you do to earn it, so it's not, you don't need to look at this as like, oh, the pe they're, they're the deep Christians. No, it's not true. It's just anybody who's willing, anybody who's open, the gift is available to everybody because he goes on to say this promise is for you. It's for generations after you and for those who are far away. That would include us. Generationally, we are far removed from this passage, and yet it's for us. And there are some people that say, well, that's, you know, the Holy Spirit stuff. That, that's for the book of Acts. That's not for us today. It was for the disciples or for the apostles or for the day of Pentecost. But then I would ask you the simple question, just logically, help me out here. If Peter says this promise is for you, your children, and for those who are far away, which promise was discontinued? Was it just the Holy Spirit or was it also water baptism and salvation? Which part of the scripture are we going to cut out here? Because all of this together was uh, the people believed his message and they repented of their sins. They were water baptized and then they received, they received the Holy Spirit. So are we going to take out repentance or are we going to take out water baptism? If we're going to go ahead and take out spirit baptism, then which promise didn't continue? I'm just, I'm just asking because I'm not smart enough to figure this stuff out like deep theological people. I'm just reading the Bible here trying to figure out how you cut that part out. 
So then Jesus said, look, you're going to be witnesses for me. The purpose of the Holy Spirit and filling is not for great church services. It's for reaching lost people and changing the world. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit because the world needs us. So what happens is they preach the gospel here on the day of Acts. And guess what? All the Jewish people get saved and revival breaks out in Jerusalem just as Jesus prophesied. But then all of a sudden Saul comes along and he starts persecuting the church turning people upside down, ruining families, and, and, and the first uh, 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 martyr is killed, and Saul stands there in approval, and the Bible says this mass exodus takes place. What is estimated to be maybe 200,000 people that were followers of Christ all flee from Jerusalem at this point, and just the disciples, the Bible tells us, are left. But as people leave, you know what the devil intends for harm, God turns for the good, and so people go and start evangelizing the gospel everywhere they went. Well, guess what happens? They went to Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus prophesied. So look at Acts chapter 8. This is Samaria. So now the people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. So they believed. They got a conversion of salvation. Then they were water baptized. But when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people in Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they said to these new believers, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because it's not the same as salvation. There's a different experience. And they go in verse 16, the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Remember, we studied that, the three different experiences. He had filled them, but not come upon them at this moment, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So now it's spread to Samaria, just as the word prophesied. Acts chapter 9, Paul is converted, and in his conversion, Ananias lays hands on him and prays for him to receive the Holy Spirit. And he's now spirit baptized and converts to the team of evangelizing the world and preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 10, now we go to the Gentiles. Peter has this vision from heaven of this new revelation of, look, this is not just for Jewish people. God wants to save Gentiles as well. And this blows Peter's mind because up to this point, they're not supposed to eat with non-religious people. They're not supposed to associate with them. They're not supposed to have relationships with them because remember in the Old Testament, it would lead them into idolatry. But now they've got the power of the Holy Spirit and what used to tempt them no longer has power over them and now they're able to be a witness to the world instead of the world messing with the church. The church now has the power to change the world and so the veil is pulled back for Peter and God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. You need to go back and read all this because your Bible's pretty interesting. I'm just giving you the highlights here. So Peter comes to Cornelius' house, this Gentile that had been converted uh, to Christianity, and, and Peter is speaking with them. They're talking about uh, the Lord, and as he's preaching to them, literally in the middle of his message, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, and the Bible says the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. How did they know? Because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, uh, surely... Uh, no one can stand in the way of these people being baptized with water because they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so here we see a little bit different order. They had repented of their sins, they got spirit baptized, and then they got water baptized. So it's a little bit different order. So you can be baptized in the Spirit before you have the opportunity to get to the pool, and God doesn't care about the order. We just know that first, 
you have to have a conversion moment. You have to surrender your life, which we call salvation, to the Lordship of Christ, repenting of our sins. And now we have these Gentiles having the exact same experience, which praise the Lord for that, because I'm guessing a good majority of those here tonight would be in that category. We are Gentiles, all right? Unless you grew up, grew up a full-blooded uh, Jewish person, that makes the rest of us Gentiles. And so now in Acts chapter 19, it happens again, and then we'll move on. While Apollos was at Corinth, we read this this weekend, Paul took the road to the interior and he arrived at Ephesus and the Bible says there he found some disciples and he asked them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. We, didn't, we just followed the teachings about Jesus. We wanted to repent and he says, look, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. That's what you got. But he told the people, John the Baptist told the people that they should believe in Jesus, the one who was coming. And so... On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's possible they got water baptized twice, and that's cool. Some of you have been baptized more than once. I get in the pool again. Let's just do it all over again just to be sure we're cool with that, all right? So they maybe got baptized twice. We're not sure. And then in verse 6, he placed, Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So here we have several different passages with several different groups of people with different backgrounds, different religious upbringings, all having the exact same encounter. Some of them had hands laid on them. Some of them did not. But all of them believed in Jesus, had their hearts open to what God wanted to do in their life, had an infilling or an empowering, a clothing of the Holy Spirit. There was a tongue that they spoke, a different language that they spoke in response to that. And their life was changed. They got they, Somewhere before or after, they were water baptized. And now their life is full of the power and the life that God intended for them to live. And this was normal in the early church. Somewhere in church history, we lost a little bit of this doctrine until the early 1900s in the Welsh Revival where the, there are a few people just praying that God would move and all of a sudden out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit hits these people and they start praying in a different language that nobody knows and revival takes place. And that's what actually spread to a small group who were meeting uh, out in California asking God to do there what God was doing in the Welsh Revival. And just two years later, the Azusa Street Revival that birthed many of the charismatic denominations that we know today in our nation, God moved in that revival and signs and wonders came. The Holy Spirit was poured out. People rediscovered the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. And the power of God hit that place and it hasn't stopped since. And my grandfather was a big part of that type of revival and seeing signs and wonders and ministering all over the world. And I just want you to know it's been a big part of my spiritual journey and not something that I always talk about here at Itown, but an experience that I believe is more critical than ever before. And to be honest with you, as a pastor of this church, I don't know if I haven't at some degree failed you by not teaching you good enough doctrine in this and giving you the opportunity for an experience with him. Because I know for certain in my own personal life that it will radically change your life. And I know it will for you as well. And I'm just telling you, you can't live this life in this crazy world without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to know it's available for everybody. If we go back for just a moment to the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter two, Peter says this in verse 16. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Hundreds and hundreds of years before the day of Pentecost, Joel prophesied, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on, read it with me, all people. How many people? All people. Just a few people? No, it's all people. Just the spiritual people? 
No, it's all people. Everybody who's, who's willing and able and open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And look at what will happen. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. God wants to do some amazing things. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. There's something about this that's powerful that the Holy Spirit wants you to have. And we are living in this time that this prophecy has been fulfilled. These are the last days, and the Spirit has been poured out, and I would just hate for you to live an anemic Christian life without the power that God intended for you to have just because I didn't lead you well enough and give you the opportunity for it. Now, theology is one thing, and bad experiences is one thing, but the other thing that I think probably holds a lot of people up is they just don't understand the tongues part. Like, I just don't get the tongues thing. And I told you I would talk about it today. I wanna take just a few minutes to talk to you about what tongues is all about. And there are a few parts in Scripture where uh, Scripture instructs us. The Apostle Paul writes about this specifically in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm hoping to bring some clarity uh, to this for you and maybe just uh, firm up the foundation for others of you that already understand these scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, it says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, the first part I want you to see is that it says eagerly desire. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire to be used of the Holy Spirit, to operate in the supernatural. That's not something that we do in today's culture as much. I think we probably kind of push, I want God, I want, I want my fire insurance, I want to know that I'm headed to heaven, but I'm not real sure about all the crazy stuff. I just don't know if that's something I'm ready for. And yet the Bible says the opposite. Man, this is something you should desire, you should pray for, you should long for. And then he says, especially prophecy, and that's, uh, we'll get into that in just a moment, but it's because uh, of the fact that it encourages others. It edifies the body of Christ. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. When you pray in tongues, you are praying to God. So first of all, jot it down if you're taking notes. It's intended for prayer. The prayer language that we'll call it. When you pray in the Spirit, you are talking to God. Your spirit man, the part of you that's been regenerated, is speaking and communicating directly to God. Look at verse two, one more time. It says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God, which is why when someone prays in tongues, you're like, yeah, I got nothing. Uh, I don't know, unless you have the gift of interpretation, and that's a whole other thing we'll get to in just a moment. For most of us, when somebody's praying in tongues, it just sounds like gibberish and nonsense because it is to the human mind and to our normal dialect. He's not praying to people, we're praying to God. Instead, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Because when you're praying, what happens when you pray in the Spirit is the Holy Spirit actually prays through you. And one of the reasons why a lot of people struggle with this is because you have to turn off your brain. Your brain does not control the spirit part of you. Your brain is housed in your soul, and you don't pray in the spirit out of your soul. You pray in the spirit out of your spirit, and that's a different part of you. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. So the soul part of you is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you have got to learn to silence all of that in order to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, later in that chapter, verse 14, he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So jot this down if you're taking notes. Second thing I want you to see is that it bypasses the mind. When you're praying, you're not using your brain. When you're praying in the spirit, you're using your spirit. And the Holy Spirit prays through you. Now that's necessary because 
in Romans chapter eight, and honestly, I just don't know how you discount all this scripture and just cut it out of your life. I just don't understand. Maybe don't read the Bible or just skip these passages, but it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what we ought to pray for. How many of y'all know that? Like, I got my list, but then I've got the list. Like, I think sometimes I'm praying through my prayer list, and God's like, yeah, that's cute. <laughs> Great. Just pray, trust me. Just pray in the Spirit. Just get, off, get done with this because, what you, trust me, that's not your issue. You know, like, so many times I'm praying for God to move in Kate, and God is like, no, that's, that's not your problem. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. She's amazing. How many times, if you're open to the Holy Spirit, how many times have you been praying about something and God's like, yeah, that's not the issue. That's not the problem. So I don't know what the problem is, so I pray in the Spirit, and guess what? The Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Why? Because you're not using words, you're praying by the Spirit. So it sounds like mumbo jumbo. It sounds like something that's almost baby talk or a foreign language, because it is. You're speaking, the Bible says, language of angels. It's the language of the Spirit. You don't know it. It's not intelligible to you. But think about this, you don't understand it, and the devil doesn't understand it. Only God understands it. So you have this secret channel directly to God that the devil's like, he's doing it again, but I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what to stop. I don't know how to stop that prayer. I don't know how to fight that. I don't know how to keep that answer from coming because I don't know what he's saying right now. I don't know what they're praying. They're doing that secret thing. You know how twins have those secret languages. The devil's like, man, they're doing it again. Because you're praying this perfect prayer as the Holy Spirit intercedes through you and, and you don't know what you're praying. And so Romans goes on to say, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. You are praying what God needs you to pray. I've told this story before, but I'll take just a moment to tell it again. My grandfather was in Tibet when he was a young man on a missions trip and he got dysentery. And he was at the back of his group of missionaries as they were going through the hills of Tibet. And he was literally just bleeding to death. And at one point, he became so weak that he just fell off of his donkey. And for some reason, the wonderful missionaries that were with him just left him to die. They, they couldn't, they were weak as well. They'd been traveling without food and they just went on. And, and several hours later, he just woke up. And by some miracle, the, the donkey that he was riding was still there and he was healed. He got back on the donkey and caught back up with the missionaries, and I'm sure after a good tongue lashing, continued through their missionary journey. And, and didn't know anything about it until years later, he was talking about the supernatural power of God to heal you, and he was in a revival somewhere in the Midwest, and a woman came up to him after the service and said, in my prayer journal, the Holy Spirit woke me up on that day at that time in the middle of the night in America, and I prayed in the Spirit during this time span. It was the time span that he was passed out, and she said, when I felt the Spirit lift was the moment you said you were healed. Come on, somebody. How many of y'all know... When I pray in the Spirit, I'm praying over you, I'm praying over Kate, I'm praying over my kids, I'm praying over stuff I don't even know I'm praying over, I'm praying for the persecuted church in Iraq, I'm asking God to move in China, I'm praying for revival in our nation, the Holy Spirit is praying through me, I don't know what I'm doing because my mind is shut off, and that's the best thing sometimes that can happen because we don't know what we ought to pray. So you're like, how, how, what do I do? Well, Paul asked that question, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 14, so what should I do? 
I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. Both are valid. Pray in the Spirit and pray with your mind. He says, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with my understanding. Now, what I want you to notice here out of this teaching is something very distinct and important that probably freaks some of you out. The Holy Spirit and your prayer language is subject to your will. So Paul says, I will choose to do this and I will choose to do that. There's no point that the Holy Spirit just takes control of your body. I think sometimes we look at some of the charismatia and we think, man, I don't want to flop around on the floor and I don't want to run and squawk like a chicken and I don't want to do some of those crazy. Listen, the spirit of the prophet, the Bible says, is subject to the prophet. Your spirit is subject to your will. Paul says, I will choose to pray in the spirit and I will choose to pray in my regular uh, tongue. I will choose with my mind. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with normal language and with my mind. You get to choose. You're not out of control here, which is actually part of the problem because you have to submit your will to his. You have to get yourself out of the way and allow God to move and to, and to do something supernatural through you. But you don't have to live in fear that if you get baptized in the Holy Spirit that you're just gonna be at the line at Walmart and all of a sudden you're just gonna be like, my credit card. I don't know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me, it's just, it's not gonna happen. You don't have to worry about that. Why? Because it's sub the Holy Spirit's subject to your will. You get to choose. Now, you might get a word of wisdom and a prophecy for that person. Hey, I don't know what's going on in your life, but God just told me that he loves you and that he cares about you and that that person that just left you needs to leave and that God's going to bring good relationships. How many of y'all know that the Holy Spirit can prophesy through you and you can use that in a moment to be a witness and a light? And I'm just telling you, that's how God wants to move in your life. That's what God wants to do for you. And we just have to be open to it. The Bible says anyone who is speaking in a tongue edifies themselves. The last thing I want you to see is that there is a private grace and a public gift. One of the confusions about tongues is that there is a gift of tongues and then there's what we call the prayer language. And, and in 1 Corinthians 14 here and in Paul's other writings, he's kind of doing this balancing act of teaching them about the public gift where someone would give out a tongue and nobody understands what they say and then either to that person that gave a tongue or to someone else, a translation would come. Then someone would say, hey, what they're actually saying is God wants you to know, and then you'd have to translate it, which is why Paul said prophecy is better because it's already in the language we all understand. And if you prophesy, then everybody gets edified. But if you pray in the Spirit, only the person who's praying in the Spirit gets edified. But that's why we call it a grace gift, that there's this grace in your private life that I believe the prayer language is available to everyone who would submit to it. And I'm just telling you, it's like you're living on 110 every day of your life. And when you pray in the spirit, you're plugged into 220. It's just like, whoa, there's just a jolt of spirit power in your life that transforms you and changes you and enlarges you and encourages you. Jude only has one, one chapter, but verse 20, it says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes your faith is weak and you just need to take a minute to pray in the Spirit. I'm just gonna hide in the closet and I'm gonna pray in my prayer language and when you come out, you feel stronger. You feel bigger on the inside. You feel better. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has prayed and interceded for you in the perfect prayer that you needed at that moment in your life. We desperately need to understand this gift that God is trying to give us, this baptism 
in the Holy Spirit and the whole concept of speaking in tongues. It's not crazy and it's not weird. It is out there and I think God did that intentionally so that the intellectually elite couldn't get it. I think God did that because he wants to prove that he's bigger than your brain and until you can accept that, you won't experience all that God has for you. One more thing I want you to see is that it's necessary for spiritual warfare. It's necessary for spiritual warfare. You do realize that this life is not about this life. The battles that are raging right now are not Republican and Democrat and, and different race relations and, and problems at the border. You do realize that there is an enemy of your soul that is trying to destroy your life and he will use whatever tactic he can to steal, kill, and destroy, to divide, to manipulate, and to lie, and to tell you that men can have babies and women can be men and that all this chaos is fine and normal and that you're the radical crazy one. We need some spiritual warfare. We need the church on its knees, binding strongholds, breaking the power of the devil off of this nation, and helping people wake up to the truth. It's going to take some Christians that are bold and strong in the spirit and strong in the power that God has given us. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. I love, I love this because it's fascinating how every one of us do this. The armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we stop right there. And we act like that's all the armor, but that's not the armor. Because verse 18 says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That's the thing that holds the armor together. It's the glue of the whole thing. The whole thing that empowers the armor to work is the Spirit. We just cut that part off. And Paul would have never commanded the church to pray in the Spirit on all occasions if it was a selective gift for just a few people in the church. He would have said, hey, for those who have the spirit and for those who have the gift of tongues, then the selective few should do this for the rest of us. No, he said everybody. Everybody put on the full armor of God. Why? Because we are living in evil times and we need the weapons that God has given us to be mighty and to be strong and we need to travail in prayer. We gotta pull down strongholds. Nothing happens in the natural till it first happens in the spiritual and you and I need to know that. So we have to put on all of the armor and then once we've got it on, we gotta pray in the spirit on all occasions. That's how you can pray without ceasing because your brain is not in control. Your spirit is praying while you're in the shower. Your spirit is praying while you're in the car. Your spirit is praying while you're working out. Your spirit is praying while you're answering emails. Your spirit is praying all throughout the day. Why? Because it doesn't need your brain. The Holy Spirit can pray through you. And with this in mind, he says, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints, all of God's people. So oftentimes we take this thing that's supposed to be this wonderful connection with God, this wonderful source of power, and we allow the devil to twist it and to manipulate it and to mystify it to where we just discount it and we say, that was for generations ago and that's a perverted teaching of the gospel and I don't really know that I wanna be in that camp and those people seem just a little bit crazy. I just want you to know I believe it's for you. I, I depend on this. I couldn't lead our church without this. I couldn't, I couldn't be the, Kate, the, the husband Kate needs 
I couldn't be the father to my children. I, I, I desperately need the leading of the Holy Spirit. I need his voice. I need his power. I need, I pray in tongues. I think this is why Paul said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. I think he had to tell them, hey guys, I, I pray, I do this all the time, and y'all should do it too. Why? Because in John 6, 63, the Bible says the Spirit gives life. It brings life. One of the other things that, that kind of trips us up when it comes to all this is the concept of the, of the word evidence. Chances are, if you've been around a, a charismatic environment, you've heard the phrase, the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And I just want you to know that phrase isn't in Scripture anywhere. Now, every time the Holy Spirit comes, it's just assumed or implied or explicitly shown that a byproduct of having the Holy Spirit is that you receive this ability to speak in tongues. That Everybody spirit baptized gets a prayer language. I believe that with all of my heart. But we need to be very careful because if we're, if we get legalistic about this, you got to live in the tree of life. And I, already in this series, I hear people in our church getting into the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They get intellectual about it, and they start to feel judged. They're like, that's not fair. I'm not a second-class Christian. No, all of this brings life. Tongues is, is something that you get to do, not something that you have to do. Okay, You have to shift your perspective. If you're not careful, tongues can become a demand rather than a desire and it'll trip you up. The devil will tell you God doesn't love you as much and you're not gonna receive and it's not gonna happen for you and that was actually my story. I grew up in a wonderful church that had great theology and great teaching. They were very passionate about the, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but we would have these youth services and they would say everybody that wants the power of the Holy Spirit come front. You want the baptism of the Holy Spirit come and we'll pray for you. And the, the youth leaders, and then their hearts were pure as gold. They would pray for you, and you, they would say, okay, now pray in your prayer language. And if you started praying in your prayer language, then they would be like, all right, you got it. You can go sit down. But every, all the losers had to stay up there. You know, if you weren't, praying, if you weren't saying something, you had to stay. And, and I'm telling you, for a couple of years, I responded to six, seven, eight altar calls, and I was always the last one. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with the youth leaders or their approach, or certainly God, it was my issue. But I had turned it into something that I wanted to achieve and something that I had to strive for and something that I had to earn. And when I couldn't manufacture it, when I couldn't force it, when I couldn't create it, I felt rejected by God and actually became jaded to the whole concept of the Holy Spirit. It's like, well, maybe none of this is real. There's a few times that you, know, you, feel, you feel tempted to throw a few phrases in there that aren't actually tongues. You know, like if you, can't, if you say she came in on a Honda really fast, it kind of sounds like tongues. She come in on a Honda. You got it. Back to my seat. <laughs> Just being honest. So I got to this place that I was like, maybe none of this is real. Maybe everybody's just faking it. Then there's this guy, this traveling missionary. His first name was Carl. Carl came to our church during some camp meeting, 
I'll never forget I was wearing a red jacket because I loved clothes back then and I still love them today. Good old red blazer, I-Town Red. I don't have that jacket, but I have another one that's the same color now. And he said, everybody that feels called to ministry, I want you to come to the front. I want you to come to the altar. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to anoint you and, and ask God to move in your life. And I felt the Holy Spirit drawing me. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not called to ministry. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going down there. There's no chance. There's nothing you could say. I literally said that there's nothing this man could say that would make me go to the front. And then he said, I want all the pastor's kids in the church to come down to the front. And I... <laughs> I didn't have a choice because my grandfather was the pastor and I knew he would like, I would be in massive trouble. There was one thing I feared more than the Lord and that was my grandfather. <laughs> and so we had this round, we had this round stage and I went down like in the back and I hid in the back of the stage. And I'll never forget it. He was laying his hands on people and praying for people. And then he turned around and he looked right at me. I mean, he looked me dead in the eyes. I'll never forget it. And he said, who are you? I was like, I don't know. I'll go find out who that is. <laughs> and my grandfather said, that's my grandson. And he said, come over here. And he started to prophesy over me. He said, son, you're going to lead thousands of people to Jesus. You're going you're to preach the gospel. And the whole time I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but cool, whatever. And then he was like, I'm going to pray over you. And I knew the routine. This guy's going to push me until I fall down. <laughs> and I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not going down. I'm stronger than he is. And so I literally, he said, I'm going to place my hands on you and the power of God is going to touch you. And I literally went like this. I'm not kidding you. And when that man touched me, best I can describe it, it was like a lightning bolt that just shot through my body and my legs buckled and I fell to the ground. And I was literally just paralyzed. I started thinking stupid stuff like my friends are probably laughing at me. How long do I have to stay here so I can go back to my seat? And I thought, well, I'll give him a courtesy of like 15 seconds. And when 15 seconds is up, I'm, I'm out of here. I laid there for a minute. And then I went to get up and I couldn't. I was stuck. I literally just couldn't move. And the Holy Spirit said, I'm not done with you. And he started to speak to me. I started to have visions of living overseas and preaching the gospel. And then I got up and I went to go back to my seat and Carl found me again. <laughs> and he said, God's not done with you yet. And he prayed for me again. I fell over again. <laughs> and I realized this is, this is actually real. The power of God is real. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't stand in his presence. The scriptures you read that like when you're really in the presence of God and he desires to touch your life, there's, it's an amazing thing. I went on to Oral Roberts University to play basketball. But I later figured out I wasn't there to play basketball because I actually never played. They sat a lot of bench riding. In fact, our 
uh, team chaplain, Pastor Bill Shears, here tonight. Pastor Bill, I love you so much. I appreciate your influence on all of us during that season. Pastor's an amazing church in, in Tulsa. It was a really a rough season for me trying to figure out this whole thing. And the college was Christian, but it was spirit-filled. There was a chapel about that whole subject. And I remember I went back to my dorm room. I said, God, I'm so tired of trying. I feel so rejected by this subject, and i just so, so confused. I know you're real, but I want to experience your power. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit touched me. And he filled me. And I started to pray in my prayer language. And from that point on, it's never stopped. I so appreciate the power of God. But it wasn't the Holy Spirit's fault, it was mine. I had convinced myself that it wasn't real and that everybody else was fake. And that maybe it just wasn't for me, even if it was real. And maybe you're on that journey too. I just want you to know that it is for you. That there's power. And yes, it is a little bit crazy, but God intended for it to be that way. Because it requires faith. It requires trusting Him. It's not a demand, it should be a desire, praying in the Spirit and being used of the Spirit. We're going to get in this weekend to all the different gifts that the Holy Spirit empowers us to have. But there's so much that comes with it. And you say, well, I don't know if I even need to pray in another language. Why do I even need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I don't have time for it. Let me give you just a couple of things. How about the freedom that you have? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom in life. There's freedom to live your calling. There's a boldness to be who God's called you to be. There's a freedom to worship. You don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks. You can lift up holy hands to God. You can cry out to Him, whatever you're comfortable with. You just stop caring what the world thinks. You know why I didn't give a crap what people said when we opened our church in the middle of the pandemic? Because I've got the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of me, and He told me and Kate to open this church, and I'm gonna follow His voice over whatever the world says. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what science says. I don't care what the Christians say. All I'm gonna do is follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and there is freedom, and there is life, that comes when you live for the audience of one. God wants to set you free from the opinions of your family and from the people around you, from the pain of your past. There is freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Freedom to live this life. Freedom to be a witness. And it comes with power. That's what the world needs. They're obsessed with power. That's why Paul said, I didn't have a better argument. I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power because you don't need more points. You need God. You need God's power. People can always take away an argument, but they can never steal an experience from me. And people can try and convince me from Scripture that the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't real, but I'm just telling you, I've been knocked to my knees. I have spoken in tongues. I have cast out devils. I have healed the sick. I have opened blind eyes. I have seen people who are deaf be able to hear again. God has used me in a powerful way. I have had experiences in this life that convince me there's nothing that you can ever say that would take that from me. And God wants you to have that power too. All wise so that we can live out the purpose that God has for us. God has a purpose for your life. And Jesus said this, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what it is that we are here to do, church. We need the power of God. We need the purpose that He has given us. The Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. The Holy Spirit makes me better than me. I want to be the best version that I possibly can be so I can serve Him with everything that I have so that I can get to heaven and hear a good job. You did a good job, Dave. You leveraged all you had and you did all you could. Tonight I want you to be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want Him to move in your life in a special way and I'm just going to warn you this service is going to go long so if you need to go, I understand. But I believe God wants to do something in your life that's a turning point for you like it was for me. I've been praying all day that today would be your Pentecost. That moment that the Holy Spirit touches your life and that you're radically filled with his power never to be the same. For some of you, you'll pray in the Spirit for the first time in your life. For others of you, maybe you'll be reawakened to the voice of the Holy Spirit and to things that you maybe have left behind. There's three things that we have to do. Number one, you have to prepare your heart. Acts chapter 2, Peter says, you need to repent, repenting of our sins. We know that water baptism can come after, but we have to repent and turn to God. That's the key. We have to be fully surrendered to him. Number two, you just have to ask. It's pretty simple. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, so if you sinful people know how to give good Christmas presents to your kids, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit if you just ask him? All we got to do is ask. And then number three, you have to receive. And that sometimes is the tricky part. It was hard for me. We'll close with this verse. Ezekiel chapter 47 says, Measuring as he went, this is a prophecy about the Spirit. He took me along the stream for 1,750 feet, and then he led me across, and the water was just at my ankles. And then, verse 4, he says, He measured off another 1,750 feet, and he led me across again, and this time the water was up to my knees. And then another 1,750 feet, and it was up to my waist. And this is where a lot of us stop, where we have a lot of the influence of the Lord in our lives, a lot of power of the Holy Spirit that seems to be working and moving. But at the end of the day, our feet are firmly planted in our own will and in our own opinions and in our own perspective. And we feel like we're still in control. But it goes a little bit deeper. It says, then he measured another 1,750 feet and the river was too deep to walk. The river, of course, here represents the Spirit. It was deep enough to swim in, but it was too deep to walk through. So now, as you swim in the water, what happens is it's no longer you controlling your life. It's no longer you dictating your steps. Now you're in the current of the river, and you're being led not where you want to go, but where the Spirit wants you to go. And that's a place that's uncomfortable. It's a place that you don't get to make all the decisions. It's a place where you might feel a little out of sorts and, and, and just a little outside your comfort zone. But can I tell you, verse 9 goes on to say, that's the place where the Spirit is leading, that there are swarms of living things. It's only where the river flows. If you don't let the river flow in your life, you'll never receive God's blessing, God's best, God's abundance. And I'm just telling you, He has more joy than you can possibly handle. He has more life and more peace than you have ever dreamed of. There's more leading of the Holy Spirit, more power to perform wonders, more words of wisdom and knowledge and insight than you could ever dream of but it'll never happen in your life until you give up control. So I want you all to stand. Here's what we're going to do.
We're gonna spend a moment in worship and we're just gonna prepare our hearts. We're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to come. You can do that right where you're at. And then I'm gonna come back up when we're done worshiping. And we're gonna do something we've never done in this church before. I'm gonna invite you not just to this altar but to all around the room. And me and Kate are gonna lay hands on every single person that wants to receive from God. And I don't know, maybe for some of you, it'll be the first time in your life that you are open to the whole concept of spirit baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. For others of you, maybe you just need a fresh touch from heaven. And I know it might be late, and I understand if you need to go because we have kids and all the things. But I believe God's spirit wants to touch you tonight. I believe there's a transfer of power that'll take place. And it'd be my honor to pray with you and to pray for you. Come on, church, let's open our hearts and worship together.